Welcome to the Rebel and Muse podcast, where you can join us on our journey of self-improvement. I'm Kaleo Wassman. And I'm Melanie Wassman. Tune in each week to discover how we find balance in health, love, and life. I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> I've been I've been waiting for this one for a long time. Well, at least for 14 days because we get to talk about food. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and you've been fasting. Yeah. Today I broke the um the 14-day fast with check this out. Two like two sli- uh, halves of an avocado. I guess I would be one avocado. One whole <laughs> avocado. <laughs> for all you mathematicians <laughs> out there. Yeah. And then and then I added uh, some brain octane oil, which is just Dave Asbury's uh, MCT oil mm. with uh, some black cracked pepper and Bragg's apple cider vinegar. And it was the best meal I may have ever had. At least in 14 days. At least in 14 days. <laughs> but the person with us today is of the utmost quality. I would say that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. You are of the <laughs> utmost quality. Uh, introduce our guest. All right, so we have Chef Rob Ruiz, mm. and he is with Land and Water Company in Carlsbad. Mm. And let me give you his bio because it's it's very impressive here. Yeah, yes, yeah, so chef owner Rob Ruiz, an outspoken advocate for responsibly sourced and traceable seafood. Oceanside native Chef Rob spent a decade honing his craft in Hawaii, where he worked with James Beard, award winner Chef Alan Wong, before earning an apprenticeship under Japanese sushi master Chef Etsuji Umezu. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Since returning to San Diego and opening his signature restaurant, The Land and Water Company, in 2014, where his menu of hyperlocal, ethically raised ingredients have put him firmly on the map. He has also focused on the culinary community's role in saving the endangered vaquita porpoise and educating consumers. Recently receiving global recognition for his dedication to improving fishing and seafood industry practices at the Ocean Awards 2016 held in London by the Blue Marine Foundation and Boat International. He is the chef restaurateur winner of 2016 who has made the most outstanding commitment to ocean conservation and ongoing mission to raise awareness and consumption of environmentally friendly seafood. His dedication to marine sustainability and drive for responsible culinary excellence served to inspire others in his field and beyond. Wow, I can't believe you remembered all of that. Yeah. Oh, That's off the top brilliant. of my head. Yeah. <laughs> See, I've been eating food, so my brain is, I don't need octane. Fully functioning. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, Chef Rob. Thank you for being here today. Oh, man, it's a great pleasure. I love, yeah. you. I love you guys. Uh, yeah. We love you too. So first of all, before we dive into all the amazingness that you're doing, right. um, we know you. From, oh, we got roots. Yeah, we, got, we have roots, roots with you. We were just talking about how he crashed at our house in Vista. Oh. This was probably 10 plus years ago. Oh, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. guaranteed. 12, guaranteed. 15, yeah. 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 yeah, it was. So you guys talk about that. Well, I mean, um, it was just one of those things where our house was kind of like the, it was the band house back in Vista. It was the party house. We it would just- It was the crash pad. It was the crash pad. Everyone <laughs> would come over, we'd have food and drinks, and it's, you know, we had the garage set up for rehearsals, but sometimes we would just lift the door and a party would break out. <laughs> and that's just how it was. And it was just, it was so fun. And so this was like an area of our life where, um, you know, we were cutting our teeth, uh, getting our chops up to, um, you know, do what we we needed to do as a band and that was to take it from the garage to the world yeah yeah and chef and rob was right there yeah, yeah. Right. it was it was interesting for me because i had grown up here in oceanside 
and then moved to the Kona, to the Big Island. Right. And so it was like, I thought it was hilarious because it was like the tables had turned where mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm coming back here. And was like, hey, does anybody know I could stay? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> somebody got a couch or whatever. And um, so, yeah, I mean, and I, I think that, you know, we were f- fast friends and fast family right away just because of the connection of the, mm-hmm. the heart and soul of the Kona that puts in our, right. in our spirits, you know? Yeah. So. The energy, the energy was right there and yeah. it always has been, you yeah. know, we've seen each other and just, you know, all the way through these years and you've been, um, working on your craft, which by the way, congratulations. And I've been working on my craft, so we don't, yeah. it's not like we hang out every day, but every time I see you, the love keeps appreciating. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I have mm-hmm. a, a pretty close circle of friends that the same energy happens, you know, it's like we, we may not see each other for a month or it could be a year but you know five minutes into the conversation it we're was back like, in we're like yeah it's like yeah, we're roommates or just whatever, fall yeah. back that's in. the closest friends that i have yeah you know yeah. especially yeah. because most of them live back in kona yeah exactly so, right mm-hmm. so i love that and you know a lot of the stuff too i mean about kona and it's the, it's the feeling i carry with me but you know 100 percent, honestly you know if like ian if right could exactly a bit more if he hadn't mm-hmm. uh taken me under his wing and helped me out I would have been lost at sea, you know, literally. And he, you know, and so, I I mean, I still hear him in my head all the time when I'm cooking or anything, you know, so it's really cool. I didn't even know that connection. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was the root connection. Yeah. That was the root Mm -hmm. down because we lived and, and worked together every day for like almost four years. And so, I mean, we were just like, we were brothers. Where were you working? Where were the It was inside the Kona Inn. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So, so my whole, the bio story is that, you know, I got over there and it was kind of, I mean, talk to my mom about it. I was really down to $5 and quarters. Oh, yeah. And I was scrapping. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, so I ended up getting a job at Lulu's Bar and Grill oh. when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was in the back washing dishes Many and cleaning nights. fryers. Yep. And, and uh, basically I had surfed with Ian a bunch of times and, you know, got introduced to all the boys and kind of was making my way. And then he was like, kind of took pity on me. And he's like, you know, bro, he's like, why are you staying in here? He's like, if you come work with me at the Kona Inn, he's like, you guarantee me three years, I'll fully train you up. And wow, like, I, didn't, I, oh, I didn't even awesome. know that. Yeah, and wow. so so then I said, all right, for sure, then I will do it. I will, be, I will give you three years, 100%. And then he was like, all right. And then he started me off at, you know, like, okay, just pretend you don't know anything. And it went from, you know, wiping and cleaning and just setting up plates yep. and then like step by step all the way up to, you know, years later, then he had moved on to the Kukio and I was there pretty much, you know, I went to the Hawaii, but I would come back and kitchen manage at the Kona Inn and it was him and, and hence the introduction to, you know, Uncle Franco and right. everybody, yep. all, you know, and it was a way for me to, you know, build a, a, a family for myself there. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I did the parallel thing over here too. Yeah. But going back to Kona Inn, we always forget that Kona Inn has kind of like a fine dining side to it. Yeah. Because I always end up with the Mai Tai. We're Thais always are, at the yeah. bar. Yeah. yeah. Well, most, exactly. of, the most of us make it to like half of Mai Tai and then forget where we are. Yeah. <laughs> I always, you go down the stairs and you got the daunting task of either going left or right. And yeah. I go right. I can't turn left. I can't yeah. turn left anytime. Oh, man. But yeah. Yeah, it was heavy, but, you know, that was one of the things, too. I mean, um, truthfully, I was just really struggling and really trying to make it, and um, Ian gave me a shot there, and it was the ability to, you know, get an hourly wage, have a job, hold a job, and then um, make food. And, you know, you always take care of the staff at the end of the night. Absolutely. So, you know, Tip out. You know yeah. I can still remember Yosh and Uncle Scotty or whatever. Oh, Scotty and Yosh. Make them a... Make 
somebody eat. Which I think both those guys are retired now. Wow, really? Yeah. Ripped out. I know Yosh yeah. is for sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Scotty retired when we were there last. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Which, I know. Yeah, which yeah. is which is okay because I never got free my time. <laughs> yeah, those guys are le- they're legends. They're definitely legends. <laughs> totally. Um, so when you right. went when you lived in Kona, mm-hmm. were you did you already know before you met Ian that you wanted to be a chef? Yeah, I just okay. So this I, was already in your radar. Yeah, it just it was yeah. something I grew up doing. Um, I'm making you know the f- main story, the famous one is um, you know I just make my mom pancakes in the morning because she was always making food for all the, my brother and sister and I, and we'd just eat it, make a mess, and leave her with it. So <laughs> right. <laughs> full-on like rat kid, you know? So yeah. then I was like, wow, maybe I should chip in and learn how to make some of this stuff. And um, Great awareness. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it just helped me. And then when I got over to Kona, I just, I just needed a job so bad, and things were rough kind of all around me, and it was just a, you know, it was just whether it was – the island, you know, I was over there for, you know, and my heart goes out to the big island now with the volcano erupting, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. uh, I was over there living solid for pretty much six years before I ever went to the volcano. And I went down there and mm-hmm. walked out onto the lava till my shoes were sticking. And wow. I left a little miniature bottle of Jack Daniels and a little banana and stuff out as far as I was brave enough to go for Pele and all that. And mm-hmm. so I have like a huge respect for all of these cultures and beliefs from awesome. all these different places, you know, and all of our different individual purposes and practices. And uh, the food was just the, the method that opened the door to that kind of. Right. And then I uh, was able to, you know, be welcomed into the island and was given these opportunities by Kona and by the family there and by the island. And that's what, you know, helped me out. So I, I never forget that. And I did also um, start a, it's called the Kona's annual roots bodyboard contest. Oh, no way. And it's on, it's like, it's like 16th (laughs) or 17th year now. Where's the health? It's at Honnell's. Oh, it's at Honnell's. And and we did the whole like research. So the original name of Honnell's, it was a canoe landing for the queen. It's called Vi Aha. Okay. And so our first contest there, so many years ago was called the Malama Vayaha and it was to take care of the roots and uh, it's free to all the kids so we got the I was working at the Hualalai at the time so this really sweet auntie at the Hualalai named Melody uh, put out a big notice on the Four Seasons you know letterhead to right. every business in town that was like the Four Seasons sweet. is sponsoring this event for the kids oh yeah so then everybody jumped on and it was great the the police came down when we were setting it up and came over to me and I was real nervous because I, I had tried to get insurance and tried to do all the right things and you know it's it's Big Island you know you're just doing it's, the best it's always, you can. Yeah. it's always red Permit. tape when you want yeah. to do something like this yeah of course right. you know like but um, one of the policemen came up to me and I was scared and then he all of a sudden goes to his car and he brings his kid out and he puts his kid in the contest and he Aww. was like he's like hey, you know super Hawaiian you know yeah, he's, he's like, like hey, hey make, sh- make sure he win huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah yeah he, he was just like hey no one's getting any tickets today you know and Aww. awesome and, and so yeah it's going on and um anyway I just you know I tried to give back and I love that place and I feel like it's still giving back to me today. So yeah, beautiful. Cool. Yeah. All right. So what made you move back here? Um, what it was is that um, I had, it was a bunch of things, you know, I had been through some heartbreak and been, kind of reached my level at the Hualalai where, you know, on the bio there, I did work with Alan Wong and Alan Wong is one of the greatest chefs on the planet. Oh he's, yeah. He's mm-hmm. a legend mm-hmm. and he's done a great things for Hawaii and the big huge, Island. Huge, huge influence for, for every cook in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. 
And so when he came to the Hualai, he was paid to basically rip out the whole culinary department and then make it anew again and make it work successfully. Right. Mm -hmm. So first he came in and then he started training and he started handing out tests to everybody. And you had to pass this very rigorous written test, written exam. Yeah, we Mm -hmm. had to. Basically, we studied for a few weeks, and then he gave a written exam, and if you didn't pass the test, you weren't in the kitchen. Wow, I like this style. Yeah. Yeah. And then from then, we had meetings and new chefs coming in and new training, and then um, we had a few few months into it, we had another regroup, a big meeting of all five outlets and all the chefs from all the restaurants and everybody together, and it was uh, only... He said, all right, everyone that has been is here from the original Hualalai staff, please stand up. And it was only myself and one other chef that had made it. So there was 60-something chefs, and basically all of them were gone except for me and one other guy. Wow. wow. And it was just about redoing the space and being pure Hawaiian ingredients and treating things with respect. And that's what he wanted, and he had his recipes. and. It was really an eye-opening to be transformed from a line cook with rough edges to now I'm in a chef coat. Now I have a, you know, a digital thermometer. I have a temperature control. Uh, you know, I have notes. I have recipes, and you know, they redid all my knife skills and they taught me about learning from the land. They taught me about. Wow. Um, we had our own farm. We raised our own aquaculture fish called moi, which mm-hmm. is the the and, yep. they, and they were in the original Hawaiian fish ponds that we raised them. Yep. Mm-hmm. So and then we we're raising our own shrimp. I mean, it was like everything came from the island that we served, and that's where I was learned or trained, you know, right. um, to really and do it at a five diamond international level. And wow. I owe it to Alan Wong. Uh, what an incredible experience yeah. for you to go through this in Hawaii. Yeah. So would you say that this was kind of like the um, the the mind opening up for the awareness of what you're doing now? Absolutely, it okay. was. It was basically, you know, Ian had really given me a head start and trained me in, in his style with classic French and CIA New York Culinary School, high rank culinary school, and then his own style. And right. He was he'd done me a great great deal of service. Then getting there, these chefs now were like, all right, now we're going to erase your brain again, and now you're going to learn this. And so I was, I didn't know anything else but to, when it was time to go get herbs, I didn't go into the walk-in and look in a bucket. I went out to a farm and picked them. That's right. amazing. You know, and then mm-hmm. when someone would order the fish entree, then you'd go on a little golf cart out to the fish pond and pull a fish out of the water. This is incredible. Yeah. This is so fantastic. Yeah. Um, and and then that was like all I knew. I didn't know anything else in that. And mm. so I just the question about, about coming back home is that I was just at an age, I was living there full time from around 95, 96 to 2005 or so. And I can't, about 10 years run basically. Got it. Yeah. And, um, my family, things had changed and my perspective had changed. And now I had a career as a chef and I was going to the university of Hawaii, the like extension side in Kona. Yep. Captain Cook. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had learned so much and there I had taken, you know, mythical beliefs and practices and the, the Hawaiian language and, you know, the Hawaiiana library of the whole state of Hawaii is there in Captain Cook. And, I did a thesis paper on tattoo and, you know, and it was just this whole thing where I was like, okay, I, I'm going to either stay here and just live here and be here forever. Or I can kind of go and see if I have it. Did I learn enough? Do I have what it takes to like really make it in, in, in my profession? Because I was 
already so far ahead at my age in the Hawaii and the opportunities I had and getting to train with a suji son, the sushi chef. Mm-hmm. Alan had left, a suji son came in and took his place. They were friends. So when he came in, he was like, okay, I've done sushi in Tokyo for 30 years and I'm going to now bring sushi here to the Hualalai because it's my expertise and I know how to do it successfully. Hmm. And in Hawaii, you know, there's a lot of Japanese heritage and history and especially on the big island. Absolutely. Right? right. And, and the sugar cane and the plant pineapple, all the plantation work, all right. this, yep. this whole footprint there. So a lot of the other chefs there were Japanese or Hawaiian Japanese. Mm-hmm. And so when the sushi opportunity came about, they were like all wanted to do it because it was in their family. And, and uh, so Tsuji san told all of them no, and then he came and he chose me. And he chose me. He said, you don't, you don't know anything. And I was like, oh, thanks. You know? <laughs> So basically the blank canvas yes. kind yeah. of situation. Yes. Uh-huh. And so, so this is your third time yeah, so now being a blank canvas. Yes. Yeah, so now wow. the third time he said, okay, yeah. you don't know anything. You're only going to know what I give you. Here we go. And so taught me his way to make uh, sushi su, which is kind of this fundamental seasoning to all rice and sushi. And it's um, then he taught me to make rice. And then he taught me to make sushi. And the first time we got out sheets of nori, which is, everyone thinks it's seaweed, it's actually a phytoplankton. That's mm. this plant-based plankton that basically is one of the most nutrient-dense f- forms of food on the planet. All aqua vegetation yes. is amazing. Right? Yeah, right. All, all of it. All of it. So the, the, if ahead. it's a phytoplankton, does this mean that it is not vegan? It means that it is a plant. Okay. It is vegan. Okay. It is a plant-based. I think of plankton being the little tiny. Exactly, like krill mm-hmm. and yeah. shrimp. Right, mm-hmm. right. So there's, so there's zo, what they call zooplankton or zooplankton, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, it's oh, a plant. It's like an algae, basically. Right. Okay. And it blooms and photosynthesizes with the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's a red color instead of green. Mm-hmm. And it's collected and then dried into these sheets. Um, and I loved it. I'm now looking back and being at my friend's house on Ali'i Drive, my buddy Ocean, and he just, his kids would come home from school and they'd run inside and they would grab sheets of nori to eat for snacks. Oh, that, that was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, instead Mochi of... Mochi crunch, nori, <laughs> like that was the snacks. <laughs> little for cocky, us. rice, yeah, you exactly. know, all that. Um, but anyway, when I went to lay out, the Tsuji son, he's like, do what I do, got the rice, rolled it out. And so I did the exact same things, and he and he and he turned and with his eyes wide and was like, "Wow!" He's like, "You have magic hands," and he was not joking; he was sincere. He was, and he immediately was like, "Hey, you are you have you have a your current disposition is that this is what you you do this naturally," and mm-hmm. so he was then was got excited, and then we worked together kind of feverishly because he knew I was soaking up everything he taught me, right. and uh, I was work with him for many months, and uh, there was a. The Hualalai was owned by the Kajima Corporation at the time, the third largest construction company in the world, and they also owned the Hualalai. So mm. at the time, uh, the princess from Japan came and stayed at the resort, and when she went to eat, she wanted sushi and sashimi, and so it was a Tsuji-san and myself and another chef that got to make all of her food. Wow. Royalty. They, royalty. Right. Yeah. They closed down the restaurant, police cars out front, secret service everywhere, and then her entourage and and then we put out the food and you know it was very simple it was a wow. alan wong i'll remember forever when he's about sashimi how do you make the perfect sashimi at home you know how do you, how does anyone do it let alone find the right fish but when you finally find it and you get it you want to make it this perfect perfect thing to eat i would all he'd do it and i'd be like wow that's beautiful and it's you know articulated like a deck of cards it's gorgeous and how did you do that and he was like don't touch it 
I was like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, just don't touch it. Your sashimi will be perfect as long as you don't touch it. And I was like, this, you know, I'm a young kid. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. But right. what he was saying is with your knife, he's like, don't ever touch it with your hands. Your knife slices it and you place it where you want with a knife and then you never touch it again. You just leave it alone. Oh. So I just did a simple sashimi and a poke salad and set it out, but they ate everything. They loved everything and they were super complimentary to it. Suji-san, who was very proud that he was serving the royal family, you know? And Absolutely. So after that, I realized something which was very important to all chefs in all their cultures and careers was that if you have the right, if you have the right technique and you're trained correctly and you're executing the technique correctly, it doesn't matter who you are or what you could be on the moon serving up, you know, Mars bars or whatever. It doesn't matter if you're doing it right then, and then do it with confidence and then you can be proud of it. And that was a big deal for me. And that was what kind of gave me my first foothold into, okay, I'm going to now immerse myself in the world of sushi and sashimi, which is this highly unique, highly stylized Japanese cuisine. Mm -hmm. Which is so funny because you could have stayed in Hawaii mm -hmm. and with this knowledge and teaching and being such a young age, just dominated a small pond. Yeah. You really could have. Yeah. But then you decided to like, you know what? I want to try my experience out. I want to, yeah. I want to, I want to exercise what I know now yes. in a much larger pond. Yes. And so brings us to land and water. Amen. Yeah, which brings yeah. us to land and water. Yeah, and 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 exactly that. And and then you know from there, I I did come back and I worked at all these places and I had worked my way up where I was running a couple of restaurants for other people and they were doing it successfully. And you know I had a great group of chefs that are now some of my best friends that I hold in quite high respect um, that agreed to come with me to open Land and Water Company. Mm -hmm. And so we basically said, okay, we've seen all the types of cuisine that are out here. You know, you have Italian, you have ramen, you have yakitori, you have Mexican, bro. you have Mexican, <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, trust me, I've, I've, I've been doing, I, I, three weeks ago, I was in the Valle de Guadalupe in Baja with Drew Deckman cooking Ooh, at the, his spot, Michelin star restaurant, and we're Ooh. cooking wood fire for 100 people just three weeks ago, and that's a part of why I go down there is to, to live and to learn in another immersion. Right, you know, right. Um, but what we decided to do at Land and Water is is go back and do what we did at the Hualalai. I wanted to have a five diamond restaurant. I wanted to try to get a great, high, you know, well lauded, awarded restaurant and do it the right way. And so that's what we did. And we, you know, like we could have, if we had a seven hour podcast, I'd go <laughs> go into it more. <laughs> but basically, what we have done is that we have we only use as as much as we can from our 100 mile radius. And there's some things that we do differently um, that aren't necessarily in compliance with that, which we're now working on making more acute to really be focused on that. But basically in the nutshell, we only use all organic, all natural, non-GMO veggies that are grown here in San Diego. And that has led now to where we actually have our own six acre farm that's in Fallbrook. Two of the acres are fully planted in 100 foot succession rows. And we order our seeds um, and find friends and farmers markets and people who have heirloom seeds that are, you know, what red beans and rice used to taste like 50 years ago, how, where these seeds have not been grown. Love this. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. So, I know exactly what you're you know saying. You know where I'm going. Right. So yeah. what, it, what it is, is that we are going back to the original flavors and the original taste of these original plants before they've like the last 50 years where they are grown through our U S agriculture, not for flavor, not for color, not for 
For size. For size. Just mm-hmm. for size to get mm-hmm. to market. For size. So we're going back and we're choosing to grow things for flavor and we're growing it because of its beauty and its uniqueness. And this and it's all coming from seed banks or families or friends that, you know, where we're choosing what we plant and what we grow. And we do it because it's what we're interested in and what we want for the restaurant. So now more and more, especially in the last few months, I've got two chefs at the restaurant, uh, Jeremy Kuschel and uh, another chef named Kyle Walker, and they've taken on the responsibility of managing our relationship with the farm, being in touch with Ed Cannon, our farmer, knowing what he's growing, knowing when it's coming in, and then scheduling that everybody, every single employee is um, asked to volunteer one day a month out at the farm. Incredible. And you know, we've had it for quite a while, and he's just been kind of coming and dropping things off, but now more than ever, we have it regimented into a program so we can really do many development around it. And then we also, with all of our veggies, there's no GMO food in the building. Everything is as natural as possible. And then we also, you know, I've kind of made a name for myself on doing that with fish, and it goes back to the hualalai with the moi. Exactly. What I, what led, on my career as a chef, I ended up going to Japan. I ended up going to London. Uh, this year I've been in, or, you know, the last few years in Italy, I mean, Bermuda, New York, uh, all of California, you know, I mean, all over the world, Mexico, internationally here cooking. And what I've seen is I just see, sadly, uh, us like, like locusts. We are just sadly vacuuming our world deplete of all of these beautiful things mm-hmm. you know and i'm like we'll get emotional mm-hmm. talking about it yeah. and so i just was so shocked and really wanted to do something where i know that these practices are being done the right way and so when i did come back from kona around 2005 i called our united states government noaa who's in charge of all of the fisheries in the united states and i asked him can you please tell me what is the right type of tuna that I can serve at my sushi bar without hurting the world. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was running two restaurants, we were doing 15 tons of sushi. We had 15 tons of fresh, raw, sashimi-grade fish a year. Holy oh shit. 15 tons. And imagine wow. if I'm just one type of restaurant with two locations and I did 15 tons. Oh. And then if you go to Tokyo and you go to Tsukiji and around Ginza and you see that there's 600 sushi bars just around the Tsukiji market, And then you look at San Diego, and then you look at the states, and then you look at the nation, and then you look at the world's developing economies like China or any of these other world powers and their populations and their middle classes growing. You see that there's there's abs, you know, the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, and the United Nations make it perfectly clear that 95 percent of all of our fish species in the world are being overfished and are in jeopardy. Incredible. And that's my thing as being a surfer and being all the time in the middle of the ocean and being in Kona and loving that place and then realizing that while you're there, the whole rest of the world is just viciously predating on our on our oceans. So all of our fish is completely responsible and completely traceable and sustainably sourced. So I have now... The current snapshot of the restaurant is I serve only San Diego landed big eye tuna. We have one boat. It's the last tuna boat left in San Diego. It's uh, six boats, sorry, in succession that come in, but it's the last fleet in San Diego that drop off big eye tuna, 30,000 pounds of big eye tuna whole 
once a week. So when the fish is out, it's out. It's out. That's how you know you're at a good restaurant. Yeah. When when a dish is 86, that's how, you, that's how you know you're in a good place. Yeah. And that's not just because the um, there's no more stewed canned tomatoes. Right. It just means like, no, this is what we had. This is what we've allowed ourselves to do. Right. Now, this awareness that you're bringing to people is of the utmost importance due to the fact that personally, even me, I had no idea that a sushi restaurant here could do 15 tons of ahi, just one yeah. a year. That stat blows my mind. And then when you just, you, you expanded that whole idea about going around the world and doing it, yeah. you're absolutely right. And so, I mean, yeah, take a day off of sushi, people. <laughs> or take a day off of anything, actually. Take a fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, wow. well, I, in, in my, I, I share the same sentiment. And then I was, you know, just like our kid, as a kid, you know, your parents would say, if just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's right. And that's exactly what I just took up to the plate going to bat in the restaurant world is that you can go out and eat sushi and eat it the best in your life because now I'm not getting a endangered species tuna that was flash frozen and then defrosted and then sent to me from halfway around the world. I'm getting it out of the harbor here in San Diego and it's mm -hmm. literally the mo most fresh the there's nowhere else in the world that can serve a tuna that fresh because i'm literally getting it as it wow. comes off the boat and then i'm doing the same thing um we've been albacore is available here for four months of the year and the and the rest of the year we've been getting it sustainably where it's hook and line caught one fisherman one pole to the wow. restaurant exactly beautiful right which is great mm -hmm. but right. what we're finding is that then there's still a plane ticket on it so what we're hoping to do now is we are going to sub out, sub out the, the albacore with a different fish that's called opa. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah, moonfish. Moonfish, right. Yeah. Delicious, we, by the way. We love it because uh -huh. we're familiar with it, uh -huh. but the rest of the world isn't quite sure. So what we're doing is putting out videos and letting people know about it and that it's beautiful and that it's delicious. And what we learned is that it's actually the only other fish in the ocean. There's marine mammals are warm-blooded. And the opa is actually the only fish in the ocean that can regulate its body temperature. I, I knew this. this. Somewhere. I, yeah. I knew this. Smart. That's yeah. really cool. And it, it's a, it's a huge advantage. And this, you know, I mean, we could talk about it forever. But basically, so all the other fish that I carry that are not here from San Diego are coming from aquaculture resources. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's different about our aquaculture resources than the rest of the world is that. Most aquaculture programs, sadly, are very, very horrible and very bad for you. Mm. Yeah, but, I wanted to ask you about this, yes. about farm rates, in your opinion. Yes. So the, there's two uh, prongs of thought on farm rates is that some originally the people who did it were very bad at it. And the quality of life for these creatures was horrible. And the end product was horrible and not good for us to eat. Mm -hmm. And that product is still out there. And it's what 99% of all the sushi bars in the world serve. And it's called an Atlantic salmon. Mm -hmm. What the most average consumer doesn't know is that the Atlantic salmon fishery collapsed many, many years ago. It was the second fishery to collapse after the cod fishery collapsed on the East Coast. So there is no such thing as a commercial fishing industry related to Atlantic salmon. So what are we eating, Chef? So you are yeah. eating, when you eat the Atlantic salmon, you are eating a very clever Norwegian company's product that has named their company the Atlantic Salmon Company. Oh and they are raising their salmon in overcrowded pens and they're injecting yeah. their fish with GMO antibiotics and, and right. they use GMO feed they're mm -hmm. giving them um, antibiotics and hormones that make it horrible for them and 
if you think I'm being cruel to this company or whatever, I mean, I'm doing a light job on it compared to other fishmongers and other people in the industry I know. I mean, there's people mm-hmm. who literally are, are in an outrage over the fact that these companies exist, and they're actually not allowed to operate in the United States because of our sustainability mandate. So that's why they're coming from Vancouver or Scotland or Chile. It's because they're, mm-hmm. no they're like, oh, you're going to make money? Cool. You know, but here, at least in the States, someone about 30 years ago was like, everything has to be sustainable that's in the U.S. So that was good. Um, so a redirect question real yeah, quick, do it. And, and I and I want to and I want to um, ask this because I do take fish oil, yes. and it is from Norway. Am, yeah, am I taking this GMO uh, sa- Atlantic salmon? Uh, well, fish you oil. source your fish oil really well. I don't I think d- you I, would. I do, but now I got to go back and look at it well, to make sure, yeah. like, it's not getting there. It's not right. Atlantic salmon. It's, it's, it, they call it Norwegian salmon fish oil. So this right. is one of those things where it's like you could be doing something that you think is healthy for you, mm-hmm. but in all honesty, it could be. It it's could. doing your body worse. Right. So like going out to sushi, worse. Some and people doing would the think environment like sushi is really like um, I would say like a health food. To, you know, to especially like in a, a society like the one that we live in. And so it's like, you know what? I'm going to have the salmon. I'm going to be healthy today. Mm. And automatically you're doing something so much worse than having a cheeseburger. Well, <laughs> and it, it is it is an interesting parallel, you know, and it's a it's a trap that a lot of us as consumers get into. But thankfully right now, because of our ability, you know, access to information. And I think that our generations and the couple behind it, our consciousness levels of what we're putting in our bodies is what's so important. And it is very true, and that's why I absolutely do not serve it. And what I'm, I'm doing two things. So the salmon that I do serve uh, is called, sorry, my brain is skipping a beat. No, um, don't worry. Yeah, it's... Um, Better than your heart. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Yes, it's meeting. Um, the salmon I serve is called Aura King Salmon. And it's important because it's the only salmon in the world that's an aquaculture salmon. Mm-hmm. And it's important when you look at aquaculture to look at what's called a BAP, a B-A-P, BAP certification. Okay. This is a best aquaculture practice certification, and it's a star system, and three stars is the highest you can get. Mm-hmm. And that means that they have sent out an inspector to the facility, that, it's, that they know the facility is a contained facility, either on land or in water, that the... I mean, they scrutinize these aquaculture systems all the way down to the nets that they use. Um, there's, if they're using a plastic or a monofilament net, they can't get three stars. They have to be some type of organic material. Incredible. Wow. I like that. So they're this kinda, will all be in the show notes. Oh, yeah. yeah let's put yeah. this in the show So this is kind of like a, the Monterey Bay Aquarium kind of thing. Exactly. But, yeah, okay. And, and, and speaking of that, it's the only salmon in the world that is green rated by the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Got it. So this means that this is the best choice that you can get. It's the king salmon species. So there's about seven or eight different species of salmon, depending on if you count steelhead. But of all of the salmon species, the king salmon is the highest uh, levels of short and long chain omega-3 fatty acid mm-hmm. yep. yeah, and also um, very fatty, very clean, very delicious and great and a great aquaculture product, which is what we need because our population will be over 11 billion on the planet by 2050. And when that happens, we're going to be in trouble. So that's why I do use aquaculture resources that are not local, but I'm changing that. Because now mm-hmm. I am going to be using aquaculture that's coming from Baja for a beautiful 
uh, yellowtail species called Hiramasa, which is the biggest and fattest yellowtail that exists. And it's mm-hmm. local to Baja. And, and it's delicious. And it's absolutely delicious. This is when nice. people come in and, and they want that otoro, that melt in yep. your mouth fatty fish experience. Right. Then this product is one that we can give them a fatty yellowtail creamy belly and it's perfect and, and it's delicious. And I love that Baja is like right there. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's literally you can drive um, like to get to Valle Guadalupe or the, any of these places where you know I can get this fish or the aquaculture from Baja. It takes me more time to get to downtown LA than it does to get to the fish market mm-hmm. in Ensenada or the Valle. Right, and we all know what is the desired destination <laughs> in that <laughs> equation. Yeah. We've been wanting to go. Yeah, yeah, I oh, know. Yeah. I'm definitely going. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. I've I've been down there and I've been with my lady now twice. And um, the last time I went down was a very special time for me. I was invited by this company called Provino, and they're uh, based in Baja, out of Mexico, and they are responsible for all the sustainable aquaculture and all of the basically all the really cool new traceable responsibly sourced food is what this company represents and promotes. So I was there to showcase abalone and four different types of clams and all the shellfish that's being not only sustainably raised, but it's doing been raised inside of a part of the Gulf that's completely protected. They made this biosphere where you it's, it's completely contained and no one's allowed to go in and out of it except to grow these special creatures and they're lovely and perfect. Um, but I wanted to wrap up the whole thing about land and water is that we use only organic local veggies here. We grow our own food. We only use traceable proteins. We also only do the same thing for the land. We had to create our own program because it didn't exist. So we work with three different meat companies and we were able to create a new program that's called Never Ever All Natural. There's a comma in there. I like that. Right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was Brandon Nichols, who's a main chef at the Land of Water. I couldn't do any of this without him. And he um, worked with the meat guys to help come up with this. And what it means is that we only use creatures that are we call terrestrial proteins. So if it's... Uh, our chicken we used jidori farms which is a um, exactly right mm-hmm. and, and they're started by this really cool japanese guy who only uses super small farms hand rears animals they're truly wild and hand fed we use our pork it comes salmon creek farms it's all natural fifth generation family raised and that the farm is being sustainably harvested and they grow animals sustainably on it all of our meats are it's same thing. No antibiotics their whole life. No hormones their whole life. Never fed any GMO food. Pasture. Pasture That's, raised. Yeah, pasture yes. raised. Yes, but it's very tricky because the big beef companies have so much power in our world and especially in the States. And what they've done is they have created a law where you can go to a steakhouse and get an all-natural steak. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Yeah. I mean, no. you know, if you're a meat eater, those no. words don't mean anything. Exactly. Organic, organic doesn't mean anything. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's what they've done is they, they've made a rule, a loophole where you can give this animal anything and treat it any way you want. As long as the last 30 to 90 yep. days of its life mm-hmm. are clean, right. then it's natural. Same thing with grass fed. Grass if fed. you're not researching your meat, yeah. I mean, okay. I think, I think this is what they do with grass fed. By the way, don't trust just grass-fed. Ask the butcher what's going on. Because as long as they are raised on grass and then they turn them over and then they start feeding them corn and soy and whatever they want to do for the last two months to fatten it up and then they execute. Right. So that's not grass-fed. You have grass-finished. Grass-finished exactly. is, is mm-hmm. what you want to look for. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. also a big part of what we do too is that our animals are not what are they're not factory slaughtered so our animals are not cooped up and put on a train or put on a truck or reared into some big slaughterhouse and all the time you know these are animals that are 
there's what they call animal husbandry involved and it's not a creepy thing it's a really truly loving thing where they these are where these animals are loved they're hand reared they have names they're they're you know there's a lot of people here locally like cook's pigs or primal pastures and that are doing these things the right way and we reached out to them starting up and we were just kind of, they were starting up too so we're working on reaching back out to them and in the meantime we're you know you can't grow cattle grass-fed cattle beef in san diego the palomar mountain is the only place here locally that where you can get grass-fed beef and it's super hard to get and by the time a calf is born it's usually sold and it's gone and it's really hard to get so when you look at the amount of land cattle need and the amount of water that they need to be happy healthy and free in california we don't have that space we're on a drought for years and years we don't have the resources right so when people want to get very specific and nitpicky about where their beef is coming from as a whole it makes more sense to get an all-natural all gmo free hand reared loved animal from utah or from oregon right then to try to get one that's from here in california because the people who are doing it are small because and limited resources because we are a new generation that are demanding these things and it's growing mm-hmm. and then for our economy for the economies of states and all of those things and our resources so it's a smarter way to utilize the right resources in the right places by doing in that in that way so that's my philosophy on it. And I, I also have learned, um, uh, there's a great chef named Elaine Passard who is, I've recently seen, and one of the things, he's called the admiral or the, the, you know, the king of French cuisine. And what he says is anything that's new, that's correct, that is effective, I will love and warmly embrace, you know? And that's the same thing with me. I mean, I can't just do th- learn one thing. Well, this fish is sustainable, so I'm gonna use this, or this is the right beef to use, so I'm gonna do this. It takes constant, everyday updates, always searching, always Things getting- Things are changing yeah, all the time. Constantly changing. Yeah. So anyway, so we serve, the, the name of the land and water company, we're in a 132 year old building, and mm-hmm. it was built by a gentleman named Gerhard Schutt, and he was the founder of the Carlsbad Land and Water Company. So he was the president of the land and water. Which was? Which is a utility company, right? Well, what or they, what it was. What they did is right? they would sell, this was, the house was built in 1886. And what they would do is this is when the Carlsbad train station was the Santa Fe Depot. And this is the, you know, wired Earp Wild West days. And people wow. would people would get on the train from back east and they'd take the train out and they'd get off the train in Carlsbad. And you could walk up to the land and water company and they would issue you permits and paperwork to buy an acre of land irrigated with water. Wow. So you could homestead. From the Carlsbad well, well situation? It was it was not the alkaline water, wasn't the irrigation water. That was from the Agua Hedionda Lagoon okay. and the other oh, resources right, around. Right. But what what but what they did do is that they would it was the land and mineral water company and so they did sell the alkaline water and they would sell land irrigated with water so you could homestead on it amazing and that it was the this so this was the home of the gentleman who founded and was the president of that company and so it's not the where the well is where the alkaline company Mm -hmm. is is where the water company was and this isn't the offices of the actual land and water company from back in the day but this is the home of the man who founded it and he built that house and all the homes around it and he was responsible for the whole build out of the city so the name Carlsbad comes from the alkaline water and the city in Germany called with KH Carlsbad yep. that has the same well of the same type of water. So the city is named after the water. The home that we're in is named after the land and water company who built it. And so we give away the alkaline water 
for free when you come to the restaurant. We have a great relationship with them. I mean, and so we give serve, it away. You so, serve, that's what you serve, yeah. the alkaline so water. You I, I think it's like you and Cocoa Beach, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what Cocoa Beach tells me, but they're probably lying to you. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> see, I remember Land and Water, and this is taking it way back. When we first got here, it was a place called Neiman's. Well, the building, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And we used to rage that place. That was mm-hmm. like one of the first places that we played at. It's yeah. one of our yeah. first We dates. opened up for like Barrington Levy yeah. there and stuff. So it was like, oh, yeah. oh, this is incredible. Yeah. I'm so glad though. Like, okay, just like with everything with you, you trace things. Yeah. You trace things back. You take the time to follow what the cause is. And to me, this is a big thing because effects, we, we all see effects and we think that effect is it. Mm-hmm. But it's not. The effect is just something from the cause. Exactly. It's just something from the cause. And so you've traced it all the way back to what year did you say this was? Land and Water Company? What year? Yeah, back back. In- oh, man. The, this So when it was Neiman's? Oh, no, no, no. Oh. I'm, I'm talking like when they first... 1800. Oh, this is... Yeah, 1800. Like yeah, this eight, is 1886. 18, okay, 1886. Yeah. You know, it's for you to trace it back and then bring it back. Yeah. And I, now I believe you guys opened in 2015? Yeah, we just had our four-year anniversary in March. So mm-hmm. technically with the whole paperwork and stuff, yeah, we're four years old. Okay. But but yeah, no, we did. And, and you know, so we've traced all the history. We put it all back. And part of it was me too, you know? I agree. Like when it was Neiman's, when it was Ocean House, when it was all these places... But really, the whole city is like it has a big plaque on the front, and it's this it's this preserved, most like beautiful downtown heart of the city building. Right. So why I went with the land and water name was, you know, when you go as a restaurateur, you know, it's like when you're gonna, everyone has their specialty. So if you're gonna do a restaurant, you know, and that's your craft, then you think, okay, I want to create a space that when people walk in here, they feel like it's already been here for twenty years. Yes. And that it's a home. It's right. a wonderful place to be. So that's why I was like, well, let's give the city the landmark that it deserves, you know? Incredible. This is well, a- before I heard that, it's mm-hmm. such a beautiful name anyway. I mean, you have meat and fish, you know, yeah. it's land and water. It was yeah. not just a clever name though. It has a lot of history behind it. Yeah, yeah. and that's I our like elevator that. our elevator pitch in this, in the, you know, when you're, what do you do? We do the very best from the land and water. Mm-hmm. You, tr- you trace, like you yeah, find the cost. You, yeah, and with your food. Yeah. With your vegetables, with yeah. your meats. So and how do you, um, sorry, babe, no, 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 how no. do you educate your clients on this? Do you have anything on the menu or do you, do you call it out at any? We call point? it out. Uh, mm-hmm. We call it out hard through our social media. Mm-hmm. And I did, I've gone through, the, you know, back in 2005 or six or whatever, you know, is when I really started, I, I got upset about how upside down things were in the fish world, especially um, that was, you know, obviously there's giant leaps and bounds that we need to make with all of our food systems. Um, but the fish one was personal touch to me because of our history. And so that's what I went to attack on first. And, you know, I have a long list of accolades and I've run other businesses where, you know, it was all about the, you know, media, media. And when the guest comes in, they're going to do this and that, you know, and I just was like, no, that's not how we're going to do it this time. I want people to come in and fall in love with the food and taste what we're doing. And, and then that, that moment of that aha moment where, you know, things have, we've managed to get things right and they taste the food and they'll come up all the time and they'll be like, wow, that was amazing. That was the best meal I've had. I've never, because also what we do is I have thought about everything. So the soy sauce, right? Most people, right? Mm-hmm. Gl- gluten allergy, celiac, celiac right. disease mm-hmm. uh, or, or intolerances, you know, all these different categories of diseases that are now prevalent because of our factory food systems that have been in place for so long. Exactly. So we're trying to undo that. And we, one of them is also um, 
Kikoman is a soy company and we've gone through different purveyors and um, you know I've always trying to conserve resources and what I found and was happy is that a chef at Land and Water's name is Kilo Leo and he was he's a brilliant man he's a good brother yeah yeah Yeah. he's he's the man and he his mind the way he thinks is he's just he sees things so crystal clear he's very detailed and so um he was able to get us we're like we're going to use soy sauce he's like let's buy it in pallets let's buy 50 50 gallon drums of it at a time you know save some money and i was like oh that's great and then it ended up being from kiko man and then we did the research on it and it's kiko man is a is a rad company because they're Mm. 400 years old they're still family owned and family operated generation after generation and the way love it the product and the and their processes has this heritage it's it goes back to the same philosophy of the way of the samurai or the same pride in our food and the spirit of believing that everything is alive and and so they believe that and they honor that so we're getting a gluten-free low sodium soy sauce from them and it's very easy to make because there's really never was any gluten in soy to begin with. They just make it traditionally, oh, right? Without without brewing it with wheat, they just use fermented soybeans, which is how it was supposed to be done all, all the time ago. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so we have all these people that come in. They're like, "Oh, I have a gluten allergy, and I'm I haven't been able to eat sushi that with sauces or eat sashimi or any of these things for so long." And I'm like, "Perfect, no problem. We don't just accommodate you. Everything is gluten free. Wow! So Incredible. you can eat anything." You know, and then people, I mean, we've carved out a niche or niche or whatever you want to pronounce in that we can accommodate anybody. You don't, you can't have tempura. You, you have, I had one table that came in, it was six guests and they had, you know, soy, uh, peanut, shellfish, um, dairy and gluten allergy on their table. And, wow. you know, so they let me know in the reservation that that's what they have. And I'll talk with them, my chefs and we'll build out a plan how to accommodate them. And then when they come in, they just have a regular dinner just like everybody else without having to worry about it. You know? And by that. the way, that's a strategically thoughtful thing that this mm-hmm. table did. Yeah. You know, it's Just really you know wonderful. Because yeah. me and Melanie grew up waiting tables yeah. the whole time. And so to have something like that on a reservation, oh, yeah. amazing. Good, yeah. good forward thinking. And you can, you know that these people like are, are dealing with, um, you know, what their body's going through, but they still are not going to let that uh, defer them from having a good time and a good night out at right. a really nice restaurant. Right. So we can make these changes and, and good on you for being able to be like, you know what? Don't worry. We got it. Yeah. yeah. And and that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the wrap up, cause I really want to talk about some of the food philosophy stuff, but the wrap up mm-hmm. with the restaurant is that we do make everything from scratch. So we bake our, all of our own breads and we make all of our own desserts, all our ice creams, chocolates are tempered, everything. Um, Tiffany Tincher is a pastry chef that we've worked with for quite a while and she's making, you know, gluten-free marshmallows and all these interesting wow. things that no one would ever think about, but right. she's making it happen. And um, so by making every sauce from scratch, by baking all of our own breads, we make our own ice cream by all of our, you know, it's much more laborious, but it is what gives us inf- absolute control. And that's what I learned from Ian and from Alan Wong and from all these guys that, you know, if you're not, if you're not making it yourself, then you don't know what's in it. 